Good morning, First Family. What a blessing to have woken up yesterday morning to thunder. Anybody besides me proud about that? Let me tell you, uh, indeed, praise the Lord. Man, I tell you, if you can't get excited about that, I don't know what's wrong with you. Now, some of you would say, well, the streets were flooded, Darren. I know, that's a problem that we have. But you know what? I've always heard and been told, if you pray for rain, don't complain about the mud. And praise the Lord that it has rained. Let's pray that the Lord continues to bless us that way. You know, we're talking today about Jehovah Rapha, God who heals. The passage that my friend Zach read a minute ago is really the core of God's essence, but it's not the first time that God calls himself by that name. To find the first time, you have to go back to the passage we used last week, Exodus chapter 15. There, right at the tail end of verse 26, God says it, I am your healer. I am your healer. The healing that our God brings is of a lot of different varieties. He heals our bodies, yes. He heals our souls most effectively. He heals our spirits. He heals those wounds that nobody else sees. Binding up a broken arm or a broken leg is something that the hospital can help you with. Binding up a broken spirit is something only God can fix. Today, we're gonna talk about how our God heals. And we're going to end with what I hope is a balanced view and something that you can take home with you for that day that you or a loved one needs that healing touch from God. Let's pray together, shall we? This is a blessed day you've given us, Lord, and we say thank you for it. We've prayed earnestly for rain, Lord, and you've sent it to us. Thank you. We pray that you would continue to bless us that way. I pray, Father God, for those in our midst, in our congregation, in our church family who are hurting, either because of sickness of the body or sickness of the spirit. Irrespective of those two, Lord, we know you can heal it, so we trust it to you. Today, Lord, we take up your name, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. My prayer is that today you would heal us. I don't know what's been brought in this room, Lord, or what's watching us on television, but we know, Lord, that because of who you are, you are the healer. Meet us where we need you today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are taking a look at healing. And let's start with this. God's healing starts with our souls, not our bodies. Give me just a moment while I gather up my props for this conversation today, won't you? One of the mistakes that I made early in my walk with Christ is that I believed that if God didn't heal our bodies, that somehow he couldn't heal our souls. And that if he wasn't willing to heal our bodies, then it was somehow a shortcoming on his, on his part. He owed us, as it were, healing. And uh, we should expect that God will bring us healing to our bodies and we should anticipate that God will move that way. While I don't think there's anything wrong with asking God for healing, I want us to make sure that we understand God's healing starts with our souls, 
not our bodies. Hear the word of the Lord again from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. Get that? The first thing is not your body. It's forgiveness. It's your soul. It's that part that's on the inside. And then the second half of verse 3, who heals all your diseases. These two work together, but they aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. God doesn't have to do one in order to do the other. In other words, God doesn't have to heal your body in order to heal your soul. Don't miss verse 4, though. Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Steadfast. Some of your translations say faithful indeed. The problem we have is blessing God even when it hurts. You ever had those times in your life like Job did? You remember Job, don't you? Here's the interesting thing about the book of Job. If you laid out the book, the books of the Bible chronologically by when they were written, not in the order that they flow, but rather by the date of authorship and when it was constructed, you might be surprised to know that Job is first. He stands before Moses. He stands at the front end of the line, and it is a reminder that our God has a plan. The book that he starts everything with is a book filled with suffering and pain. And yet in Job 13, 15, I want you to see this. If you're one who underlines in your Bible, maybe this is something you need to underline. Job has lost everything. He's lost his children. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his home. He's lost his well-being. His friends come to him and they say, curse God and die. His wife comes to him and says, curse God and die. But in Job 13, 15, this is what he says. Even if he slays me, yet I will trust him. It's as if Job understands something we don't. And maybe it's this. Only our spiritual healing lasts. Only our spiritual healing And that brings me to these two stools. I've thought a lot about how I might help us understand the difference between the two primary parts of us. There are two primary components that make up each of us. They are the physical, and the other part is the spiritual. Let's just let this stool represent the physical. This is where our bodies reside. We might even say, I'll sit on it to make my point. See, this is how we normally understand ourselves, and this is a lot of times the part that we want God to take care of most. We want him to stop our hurts. We want him to heal our diseases. We want him to take care of this part. This is the part that we're most interested in him lasting and, 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 and fixing. This other part over here, I thought about what could represent my soul, I'll just put it on me. I don't want to put it on anybody else. And I found this rock in my office, and it just really represented it. Here's why, a couple of reasons. One, sometimes I'm a little hard. My soul needs to be broken up. I need to be reminded that my God meant to heal me. And the other part was what somebody painted on the other side. I just thought this 
really kind of set it off for me. Those of you who know me well know that I'm a Texan first, uh, right after I'm a king of, kingdom of Christ child. Let me just tell you, if the United States ever decides to break away from us, that'd be all right, as long as we can keep Texas. That's just my thoughts on the matter. So let this represent our souls, the part that nobody else sees, the part that's on the inside, the part that only God can fix. This is where we struggle the most with this conversation about Jehovah Rapha. What we want, what we want is God to fix this part right here, the physical. We want God to take care of this. We want God to make right all that belongs on this realm and on this stool. Make my body well, God, and that's how you can heal me best. But the reality is that the healing we most need is the one over here. The healing we most need is the one for our souls, the one on the inside, the one that nobody else can see. Jesus did not come to redeem our bodies. Jesus did come to redeem our souls. Jesus' mission was not to make our bodies well. Jesus' mission was to redeem our souls. This redemption then, this healing, it starts on the inside. And you might say, well, that's not much help, Darren, if I need God to heal my body. Well, let's keep going. Because let's be clear, our God can heal our bodies. I've got two case studies that I want to take you to. Won't take long with either one of them, but I want to take you to both of them. The first case study is in the Old Testament. Naaman, the leper. You'll find him in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a story that I've used a few times with you before. Naaman is a powerful and important man. He is one who is very deeply invested in this side. He has everything you can imagine. He is rich. He is blessed with incredible privilege. He has all kinds of strength. He has all kinds of authority. He rules in a wonderful and powerful way in his kingdom. He is the number two guy. But he has a problem with his body that he cannot fix. He finds himself with leprosy. What does he do? He inquires. He inquires of, get this, a slave girl who comes to his wife and says, if only Naaman will go to the prophet in Israel, then we will see God's hand at work. So Naaman does exactly that. He takes himself down to Israel. He meets up with the prophet. And the prophet says, hey, here's what you do. You go down to the River Jordan and dip yourself seven times in the, in the river. Then you'll be made well. Now, Naaman's whole purpose, remember this now, his whole purpose was to make well his body, right? His whole purpose was for God to fix this part. He wasn't even worried about that part. He was just worried about this part. He only wanted his body remedied. But what was the real problem? The real problem was not his body, it was his soul. The problem was on the inside, not the out. So Elisha's instructions to him were to go dip himself in the river, but really it wasn't as much about getting wet as it was getting right. Getting right with God. You might say, well, how does he do that by dipping himself in the river? Will dipping me in the river make me well? Well, only if God sends you to do it. Friends, I want to tell you some good news. 
our friend Naaman gets angry and decides he's not going to do it, but he has people in his life who love him, who care about him, and they come to him and say, if, if the prophet had asked you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done that? What can it hurt you? So Naaman goes to the river and dips himself six times, and nothing happens. What if he quit there? What if he had said, what difference will one more make? Full obedience is the only kind of obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. If God has told you to do something, then do all of it. Don't hold back just because it's uncomfortable. On that seventh time, Naaman dips himself, comes up out of the water clean, purified. Now, was it just his body that got purified? No. If you read that story, then you'll find that it was his soul, too. God woke something up in him that day. God changed him. You need God to change your body? Then let's follow the example of Naaman and start on the inside with trusting God enough to do what he sent us to do. Here's a second case study, the man born blind. You'll find him in John chapter 9. I've used this story before, too. It's one of my favorites. When you open the Bible to that story, here's what you'll find. The disciples are walking along with Jesus, and they come to this man born blind. Now, how they knew he'd been born blind, I don't know that. But they decide that they know he's born blind. And so they come to Jesus and they say, hey, we know this man who is born blind is that way for one of two reasons. Either he sinned, yes, it was possible to sin according to their thoughts in utero. I don't know what kind of sin you can do before you're born, but apparently they believed he was possible. it was possible. Or his parents sinned and this is the punishment that they are getting. Which one is right, Jesus? Which one is right? They were absolutely confident they had the right answer. I want you to see verse 3 of John chapter 9. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the glory of God might be displayed in him. See, the cruelty of being both blind and regarded as receiving God's rightful punishment were a bitter pill swallowed daily by our friend that was born blind. This man knew what it meant to have people talk about him behind his back. While he might not have had his sight, his hearing was fine. And yet, in one fell swoop in verse 3, Jesus lays both of those to rest. That the glory of God might be revealed in him. Jesus heals the man and changes his world. Was it just his body that was healed? No. If you read all of John 9, you'll find that the inside got changed too. You see, I think it's at that moment that man who was born blind, he realized that this was not all there was, this physical part, that this part over here was what Jesus really came to fix. Because he wanted that man to understand himself differently as much as he wanted to heal his body. Maybe that's a word for us too. You see, in both cases, Jesus healed both body and spirit. And I believe that he still does. 
Here's what I believe about God's healing. He still does it. He still does it. I believe that what happened in Luke 7, when Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter all in one chapter, can still happen. I believe the Jesus of John chapter 5, where he heals the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, is the same Jesus alive and well to heal today. I believe in Mark 2, the Jesus who healed the man lowered down through the roof by his friends, when Jesus said, get up, take up your bed and walk, is the same Jesus who can say that today. I believe Matthew 4, 23, where the Bible says Jesus went throughout Galilee healing all manner of the diseased is the same mission that Jesus has today. Sometimes it's not our bodies that need to be healed. Our God can heal us mentally and emotionally too. Sometimes the deepest wounds of our physical self, the ones that are marked on our bodies, you might say, are the ones that are marked on our brains. If God's capacity was limited only to our bodies, then how sad we would be. But since God crafted us, every part of us, his healing capacity extends to every corner of our lives. He can bring healing and peace into those places that nobody else sees. I don't know if that's a word that you need today, but I know that it's a word that I've needed. There have been times where my physical self was fine, but my spirit was shattered. There have been times when I looked perfectly normal on the outside, but broken up on the inside. I could cloak it with a good act, but God knew the truth. And here's good news today. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. What does it mean? It means my healing starts with God's mercy. My healing starts with God's mercy. This omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God who created and crafted me uniquely, singularly as I am, is the same God who reaches down through time and space, transcendently acting on my behalf to speak into and heal me. Friends, if that doesn't blow your socks off, then I don't know that I have anything else to share with you. Because this means that our God, he can step in whenever and however he chooses and make it right. I hope that's good news to you, because it certainly is to me. I want us to talk, though, sometimes about how sometimes we miss it. If you go to 1 Kings 19, you'll find the story of Elijah, the prophet, and the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. Elijah has just challenged them to a great contest, and 
the God of the universe has shown that he is the only one. The prophets of Baal fall at his feet and God's victorious power given through our friend Elijah causes a victory that is extraordinary even to this day. Into this greatest moment of victory in the previous chapter, God sends a moment of testing and Elijah fails. Satan sends Jezebel. Yeah, there really is a Bible character named Jezebel, if you didn't know. Jezebel, to speak a word of anger, bitterness, harshness, and vengeance on Elijah. She puts out a death warrant for him. Now, this Elijah, just one chapter before, has seen God remedy a problem that looked unfixable. He should have laughed it off, but he doesn't. Instead, he flees. Flees to the desert, fearful, weary, broken. He even goes so far in 1 Kings 19.4 to say, It's enough now, Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than those who have gone before me. The thing that impresses me about this and the reason that I wanted to bring it to you today is because of how God responds. How does God respond when Elijah is at his lowest point? Does God scold him? Does God shake his angry finger at him? Does God produce wrath upon him? No. He doesn't give him a self-help book either. He doesn't give him a podcast with five easy steps to freedom from worry. Instead, he gives Elijah rest. He gives him refreshment. He gives him a chance to start over. Then he gives him a whisper. Listen to the voice, that still, small voice. And there you'll find the power of God. Why don't we hear it today? (laughs) Can I be honest enough to say, because we're not listening? When's the last time you got still and quiet enough to listen? I keep a little meter on my smartwatch. It's a decibel meter. It tells me how loud the environment that I'm in at any given moment is. Now, I have no idea how accurate it is. It might be spot on, it might be wrong. But one of the reasons that I do that is to remind me that quietness is a virtue. In a world that lives on noise, quietness. Now, some of you that know me well know that I like a car that has a nice throaty, big sound, that doesn't count, all right? But let's be clear, what Elijah most needed and what we most need is to meet with God. My restoration, my healing begins when I lean on God's character and promises. 
So for Elijah, he's really focused here on the physical part. Take my life away from me, God. I'm ready to die. But what does God do? Does he touch his body? Yes, he does touch his body. But where does he start? He starts here, friends. He starts here with remedying his soul. May we do the same. The problem that many of us have is we're so stuck right here. We get here and we hang on to the stool. But God, if you don't heal this, then you won't heal that. I want us today to let go of the stool. I want us today to not be so attached to our physical selves. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't care about your physical self? No, that's not what I said at all. What I said is, if we have to choose between one or the other, let's choose this one. Let's choose that part that nobody else sees, and that brings us to the last thing I've got for you today. I'll have to hurry through it. A balanced view of God's healing power for today. These six things are not a bag of tricks, but they are things that I believe God has revealed to me, revealed to others that I've borrowed from. And these are things that I think can help you. They're hard fought for me, friends. Can I just pause right here and say, this is the hardest of these talks for me? You guys know where I've been. And when we started working on this series some weeks and even months ago, I pushed this one further down the line because I didn't want to deal with it. Well, if God can heal, why didn't he, why doesn't he do it now? Why doesn't he do it like I want him to? Surely this is God's wrath upon me. Thinking all those natural and human thoughts, let's take a look at these six things and see if God will give us some clarity and some freedom. One, reject the notion that your illness is inherently God's punishment on you. The word of God never says that every disease, every malady has a direct correlation to sin. Did you get that? I've known many people who have said about somebody that died tragically, either by illness or accident, well, God must have been out to get them. Oh, friends, while it is indeed possible that God will use disease or accidents to correct will, to redirect our course, God is not limited to that. The Bible never says that every disease is locked in to sin. Now, it does say that the weakness of our bodies is a condition of our physical selves, that our sinful condition weakens our bodies. You can say that for clarity, but it never says that every time someone is sick, God is mad at them. Don't, don't believe that, friends. If you are sick and you're listening to this today, hear this as a word of hope. It does not mean that God is punishing you. Now, could it mean that? Sure, but it isn't inherently so. So let's make sure that we give our God enough room to be the good God that we believe he is. Secondly, know that our God shares your pain and inhabits your grief with you. If you're in a low season, 
Then hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Likewise, for Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way and just as we are, but he didn't sin. He's right there with us. He stands beside us, according to his promise never to leave us and never to forsake us. He's with us until the end and then with us in a new way. Friends, today, let us rejoice that even if we're hurting, our God shares it with us. Three, let's acknowledge the difference between God's eternal and our temporary. Let's be clear, one last time with these stools. This part that sits on the stool is not eternal. It's one day gonna pass away unless Jesus comes back first. This part of me is not going to heaven. I'll leave it behind. This is just a tent, and if we've learned anything about tents, it's that they're not meant to be permanent dwellings. This is my temporary. But friends, this over here, this part, this is the eternal. This is what Jesus came to redeem. This is what Jesus came to make right. This is where a lot of our friends who are lost are really going to be broken because they're so fixated there. They don't know that Jesus came to fix this first. This is the good news that we have. They don't have an eternal hope, but we do. So the best thing we can do for them is share with them, hey, here's how you can find that eternal hope. Here's how you can be anchored to this truth. Here's how you can say confidently when your time comes that you're just surrendering a tent for an eternal home. Let's make sure that we remember the difference between these two stools. The fourth thing, embrace prayer as a pathway to healing. In James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, the word of the Lord tells us what to do if we're sick. If we're sick, we're to call the elders of the church to come and let them anoint us with oil. Anoint us with oil. Now, what kind of oil? The Bible fortunately does not say. And do we do that as a church? Absolutely we do. If you come to my office, I've got two or three bottles of anointing oil. Some of it's special that people have brought to me from Israel or other places. Others of it, something that's special to me. Anointing oil that I've used for my own purposes. It doesn't have to be any special kind of oil. You can use Pam for all that the Lord cares. The key part is this. The oil is not the important part. The prayer is. Prayer. It's how we'll find a gateway to heaven and a gateway to our healing. Fifth, believe God's goodness means healing his children. Put a pause here. Healing starts on the inside. So even if our bodies die, we're still healed. The future that we have in heaven is better than the one we might have here on earth, which brings me to the last thing for today. Ask God for the humility to trust his timing and his plans. 
It's been my sad duty over the years I've pastored to officiate a great number of funerals, some for families of yours. It's been my sad duty to stand at bedsides and watch as loved ones slip away into eternity. While that is sad, let us rejoice in this, friends. The God who heals came to heal our spirits first. Jesus came for the purpose of freeing us, freeing us in order that we might find the healing that he meant for us to have. Not our physical selves, but our spiritual selves. I wonder today if you need to respond today to Jesus. I wonder today if you've realized that you've been locked in on this stool when Jesus died to make this one right. Maybe you need to come talk to somebody about that. Listen, friends, I've been praying all week for this moment right here, for you to say yes to Jesus, for you to give him the opportunity to heal you. My prayer is that you'll respond to him today, this day, right here, right now, and that you'll say yes to him. How can you do that? Well, it starts by acknowledging that you need him in the first place. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Will you come into my life and make things right? Here's the second thing you do. You come down and you talk with me and help, let me help you. This is a day that I'd love to do that very thing. I'll be waiting for you while we sing in just a minute. I'll be right down here. And then what do you do? Well, you follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you gave your life to Christ some years ago and never been baptized. It's the first step of Christian obedience. Come down and let's talk about how we can help you take that step. Maybe you need to be a part of a church family. We invite you to join us. Come down here and talk with me about how you can. This day is the day that God has given you to make a decision. And one of those decisions may be to come to this altar, to kneel asking God to remedy your heart, maybe to remedy somebody else's. This altar is open for you. Let's pray together. When we look within us, Lord, and we see the frailty of our own bodies, we're reminded, Lord, that we really don't have much control over things. But thank you, Jesus, you didn't come to just heal our bodies. You came primarily to heal our souls. You came to make us right on the inside. And today, Lord, I pray for that very thing. Will you do that work in each of us? I know you've already done it in so many of us, Lord, but I know there are some who need to trust you today. So I pray that you'd give them freedom to step out from where they are and come down here and talk with me. Will you do that now, Lord Jesus? Will you compel us toward spiritual healing first? At the same time, Lord, I know there are many in our, in our church family who are sick. We pray for your healing hand there. We know that there's no sickness, no disease, no malady that scares you, that you can make it right. And so we pray honestly, earnestly, passionately that you would. But even if you don't, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've already healed our spirits. 
So now, Lord Jesus, in this invitation time, I pray for those who need to respond to you. Will you do something here today in each of our lives, Jesus? Change us from the inside out. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.